Greetings and welcome to the first episode of Haynes and Boone's bi-monthly podcast, Media Minute. The series will focus on legal developments and trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, open government, and First Amendment law. My name is Nathan Koppel, and I'm the Director of Media Relations for Haynes and Boone. I'm going to serve as the host and moderator of Media Minute, and the format's going to be simple. I'll be joined every episode by lawyers from our media law and practice group, which has fought in the legal trenches for years defending high-profile media outlets in libel, defamation, invasion of privacy, and other claims. Our media law group also is active monitoring legislatures across the country and advocating for laws that facilitate free speech and government transparency. Before I introduce today's topic, and since we are a law firm, I've of course got to start with a legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. So our topic today is on some key developments nationwide with anti-SLAPP legislation and litigation. And I'm very excited to be joined today by Haynes and Boone partner, Laura Prather, who is the head of our media law practice group. Laura, welcome aboard. Thank you, Nathan. I'm happy to be here. Great. And I, I guess we'll start at a, at a obvious starting point, which is uh, if, I, if, if I could ask you to give us just a quick primer on anti-slap laws, what are they? Well, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with just what is a slap suit? Um, sure. So anti-slap laws are intended to address slap suits, and slap suits are frivolous lawsuits that are filed to silence critics um, by dragging them through the court system. So these are not claims that have any merit to them. Their sole purpose is to punish and penalize the person who has spoken out about something. The message from these lawsuits that you see is, if you criticize me, it's going to cost you. Mm. And it's basically a form of judicial harassment that is used by powerful and wealthy individuals or organizations that have the wherewithal to be able to use the court system to try to silence their critics. What does SLAP stand for? It's an acronym, uh, right? It is. Thank you. I should have started with that. Um, SLAP stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. Um, back in the mid-90s, there were two law professors from the University of Denver, George Pring and Penelope Canan, who coined this term and who studied the increase in suits that were being brought against people to try to deprive them of exercising their constitutional rights. And they're the ones that coined the term. And what we've seen is with the rise of the internet, there has also been an exponential rise in the number of SLAP lawsuits. And so they, what do anti-SLAP regulations, if you, I don't know if you can give me just a general sense of what are the typical boundaries of an anti-SLAP law? So because these lawsuits have become more and more commonplace, and, and it, it does have to do with the rise in the internet, um, everybody can be a publisher now. And so what has happened is state legislatures have seen this. They've been alerted to the concern of this misuse of the judicial system. And so they have 
started to enact laws that basically allow the court at the beginning of the case to ferret out these meritless claims. And there's three really important parts to an anti-slap statute to give it teeth and to make it have a true impact. Um, The first is to stay the litigation while the court evaluates whether or not there's any merit. And this happens usually within the first 60 to 120 days of the case. And the second is to allow for an immediate interlocutory appeal if the slap motion is denied. The third piece is to allow for the recoupment of attorney's fees if the slap if, if the slap lawsuit is dismissed. All three of these are important for a number of reasons, not the least of which is to sort of stop the bleeding. If mm-hmm. you're on the receiving end of a slap suit, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be having to spend a whole lot of money defending against a meritless claim. And then if that claim has been determined to not have any merit, you should be able to be made whole. If, and if I can, Laura, if I can play on that that metaphor, how bad it can the bloodletting be if you if before there was a world in which there were these sorts of remedies against slap suits, how burdensome could these claims be to defend? Oh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, sometimes into the seven figures. I mean, there there are a number of people who came forward and testified before state legislatures that were considering um, enacting these SLAP statutes. And they told stories about how they had to get a second mortgage on their home or cash in their IRA or their 401k or their kids 529 fund just to be able to hire a lawyer to defend them. And so the ability to be able to get your attorney's fees back has actually enabled so many people to just find counsel that they couldn't have previously found to defend them in these cases. And, and I, I would think in the face of those kinds of expenses, many people wouldn't defend. Uh, they would just sort of capitulate to the claims in a way. It, exactly. I mean, what this has done is it's sort of leveled the playing field so that people aren't just sued into silence, which is what was happening before. How many states now have anti-slap protections in place? Right now, 32 states, plus the District of Columbia, plus the territory of Guam, all have SLAP statutes, and they're varying levels of protection. I can tell you the ones that were passed in the early days, like the you know mid to late 90s, some of them are very broad, some of them are very narrow, but what we've seen is the appetite for state legislatures has definitely turned in the last decade toward adopting much broader slap protections. And, and, and have you indeed, as you, as you put it, has the playing field, do you feel like been leveled in the wake of all, all these reforms? I think it has in those states. I think what we're seeing is in the states where slap statutes have been adopted, for lawsuits that have been filed in state court, the, le- the playing field has been leveled and you don't see as much vexatious litigation in those states. What we're seeing more of now, Nathan, is forum shopping, mm. right? So people trying to avoid 
having a SLAP law apply and filing in states where there isn't SLAP protection or in federal court, and we can talk about this later, but in federal court where the protection is questionable. So the, so the anti-SLAP battle has, has not yet been won completely, I guess. I, I absolutely. I think, that, I think that's an accurate statement. Well, let me turn to some, some, ask you about some recent developments in the anti-SLAP movement and starting with the Uniform Law Commission's approval of the Uniform Public Expression Act. Can you please tell me about the commission and why that, that new law is so important? Sure. So the Uniform Law Commission is made up of commissioners from, uh, and commissioners are lawyers. They're lawyers that were uh, appointed by state governors or state Supreme Courts. They're all selected in various ways, but they serve on the Uniform Law Commission representing their state or Puerto Rico is also a member of the Uniform Law Commission. And it's, it's really a remarkable group of incredibly brilliant lawyers from all different practice areas that come together and try to determine when there is a need for a model law. So for instance, they're who who brought us the UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code, which has been passed in all 50 states. And they don't just do this on a, you know, on a whim. They do a study committee to decide if they want to form a committee to consider adopting a model law. And then if they do, then they create a committee to formulate the language for the model law. And that is a two-year process. And so the Uniform Law Commission just completed that two-year process in July and adopted a uniform anti-SLAP act entitled the Uniform Public Expression Act. In what impact would uh, first let me ask you what the the gist of that act? What does it say? So the act is patterned after again a very broad protection of of free speech and petitioning rights, and it says that essentially the court needs to evaluate in the first instance whether there's merit to the case. The case is stayed during that the pendency of that determination. And then it has all the things that we talked about. It has the right to an interlocutory appeal. It has the recoupment of attorney's fees language. And the significance of this is that it is a model that state legislatures can use. Those states that don't have SLAP statutes already on the books or those states that have very narrow SLAP statutes that want to broaden the reach. Here is a basically a template that experts throughout the nation have agreed is at least a model to start the discussion. Do you think that activity is already in place, Laura? Are states uh, with this new act in place taking a look at it and proposing a legislation that would that would be modeled on this? This was just passed in July, uh, July 15th. And so what happens next is an enacting committee is is appointed by the Uniform Law Commission. And the members of that enacting committee then go to the various state legislatures and uh, try to incorporate uh, proposed legislation in those states and move it forward that way. And so I think what we will see is come January when, when state legislatures reconvene, I think you'll see a number of bills proposed that are modeled after this act. I want to 
ask you about New York. I know that's such an important jurisdiction for media organizations, and I understand that there's been a good bit of legislative activity there. Can you please uh, update me on what's going on in the Empire State? Sure. So this past year, it is a fascinating time to be involved with anti-slap legislation. Um, Just in the year of 2020, we had eight different state legislatures looking at enacting or broadening their slap statutes. One of them was New York. And New York has, this is not a novel issue for New York. The legislature there has been looking at this issue for almost a decade. And this year, finally, they did enact a, uh, did pass a bill that does substantially broaden their slap protections in that state. Now, the bill is still waiting to be signed by the governor. Um, but previously, I, I had mentioned to you that you know some of these states had narrow laws. Previously, New York had a very narrow law only protecting people's right to speak in a public proceeding involving real estate. Um, and now it the bill that was passed protects all First Amendment activities, which would, of course, encompass the motion picture industry, the publishing industry, the entertainment industry, all the things that you think of when you think of New York. Yeah, that, that is incredibly narrow, that it applied only to real estate. Um, yes. you, had, you had mentioned some other states similarly are, are looking to expand uh, their anti-slap protection or even implement new laws. What are some of the other states that are going down that road? So other states that looked at it this last year, um, and I think, and there are a couple that are still pending, but uh, COVID did put the brakes on a few legislatures. Um, but Ohio, um, Iowa, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, those are all other states uh, that were either looking at adopting for the first time or expanding the reach of their existing SLAP statutes. I want to go back to a point you mentioned about forum shopping. Is is it unlimited as long as there are some states with no anti-SLAP protections? Is it, do media organizations and other possible targets of SLAP suits, do they, are they still very vulnerable or, or does, you know, do all these other states that have passed laws do provide pretty robust protection? It's an interesting question because if you can, if the plaintiff can assert a claim where there is jurisdiction over a publisher in a state where there's not slap protection, then what's going to happen is there's going to be a fight in the court about what substantive law applies. So, you know, for instance, there's a case uh, that is being fought in California right now involving. Uh, Stephanie Clifford and or Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump. And in that case, Texas law applies. It is pending in California, but Texas law applies. And so it really, even though somebody can file a lawsuit in a jurisdiction where there may not be a slap statute, that doesn't mean that they might not still have slap protection because it depends on what substantive law applies. I see. Is there a federal anti-slap law? That's the bigger problem. Um, So what we've seen over the last decade is we have seen at least 10 different states pass very broad anti-slap laws. 
every place from Texas to DC to now New York, Colorado, and more. But there is no federal law. There's no protection under federal law. There have been a number of bills filed. Um, They've gotten as far as a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee, but there hasn't been the passage of a federal law. And what that brings up is, again, this patchwork where some federal courts apply the state anti-SLAPP law and some don't. So the case that I mentioned before involving Stormy Daniels and President Trump, the Ninth Circuit chose to apply the Texas anti-SLAPP law in federal court. But here in the Fifth Circuit, in a different case, the Fifth Circuit held that the Texas anti-SLAPP law did not apply in federal court. And so you see, it's just a mess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there's not a lot of legislative activity going on these days in Congress, but has there been talk of passing a federal law? There have been talks for the last, oh, probably half a dozen years. And, Mm -hmm. and, And there have been committee hearings and there is actually currently a bill pending before the Congress. I don't envision it going anywhere, at least not this year, but it has been filed. I'd like to ask you to step back and just if you were to look at the the trajectory of kind of anti-slap movement and all the legal protections that have emerged in, in over the years, how would you describe the overall state of anti-slap law now? Is it is it is there a growing consensus that this is an important and, and vital uh, legal framework for for most jurisdictions to adopt? I think there is. I think there. Uh, I think so much of so much of public policy derives from increased public awareness and the public has become increasingly aware of this form of judicial harassment. And as a result, more and more state legislatures are acting. I think that the ULC getting involved exemplifies how important this is and how there is a consensus that there needs to be broad-based protection of people's constitutional rights. And I think that's where we're headed. I think we're going to continue on this trajectory into the future. Have there been any areas of of pushback? Do you see some states trying to retract protections that they had enacted previously? Last session um, here in, in Texas, we actually had some efforts to scale back the protections. And our law was amended, um, but the core protections and the broad base protections were kept intact. There was more of fine tuning that ended up happening. And Laura, I know you've been involved in following that it, it, legislative activity. Were you also invo- involved in the Uniform Law Commission's efforts to, to pass the uh, Uniform Public Expression Act? I was. I actually had the pleasure of being um, an advisor from the American Bar Association and got to participate in all the meetings and got to help answer questions from commissioners when the model bill was brought up to the floor of the Uniform Law Commission. It was a really wonderful experience. I have great regard for that organization. Well, uh, I just guess ask you one final catch-all. Any other other developments or issues that you'd want to point out before we close? I think that the the main thing to remember is that if if you have the opportunity to get involved in this discussion and the opportunity to 
make your state lawmakers aware of this problem. If there's not a state slap statute in place, you should do so and use the Uniform Law Commission's model as a starting place. Fantastic, Laura. Thank you for providing these insights. And I want to thank listeners for joining us on our maiden voyage of Media Minute. Before we sign off, I'd like to remind everyone that you can find this podcast and other content, including our quarterly media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter at our media and entertainment litigation page at haynesboon.com. Media Minute is also available on such popular podcast platforms as Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Amazon. And finally, I'd like to encourage you to reach out to myself or to Laura Prather if you'd like to suggest topics for future podcasts. Take care, all.